1: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com
2: slash Wondery. This episode is sponsored by Zengo. You're listening to The Hash
3: Headlines on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Get caught up on this week's top stories from the hash crew. And just a reminder, CoinDesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice.
4: Monday's top story. Yay, I'm so excited to be back. And I think we should just do a show on Kanye. I think that would be awesome because I've got some really hot takes. Anyways, this is really important news and actually really great for our industry. And I will explain why. MasterCard joins with Paxos to help banks offer crypto trading. So they basically want to partner with Paxos and offer crypto, or I guess a crypto source program that will help banks offer trading to users, allowing folks to buy, hold, sell cryptocurrency. And it also looks like MasterCard is going to deal with all of the regulatory compliance, provide AML, KYC, identity monitoring services. and. The thing that I think that is great about this is I feel like crypto companies don't necessarily have enough funding to really fight against the SEC or ask for what type of... They have a hard time dealing with compliance because the SEC doesn't give these types of guidelines. But when you have a big company like MasterCard behind them, I feel like this is going to help get some kind of push in the right direction. However, one thing I am curious about is if they are going to offer like FDIC insurance and how that will work. I want to toss this over to Will for a very sassy and spicy take.
1: Sassy and spicy on Monday morning talking about MasterCard. You're not going to get that today, <laughs> indeed. That was good to see you again. Uh, yeah, this is Road to Boring. I wish Adam was on the show today. I wish he could uh, maybe boot Zach off, get Adam on here today. We need, we need hey. to talk about the boring stuff. And it is boring, right? It's Axos just holding someone else's Bitcoin. It's not exciting. And you know, the Kanye story, that's exciting. It is important, though, like Zach noted off the top, like this is what brings people into crypto. There's a lot of latecomers. People came for the fun and the hacks earlier. Now we're getting the boring stuff. And that's what happens during a bear market. MasterCard has been involved with crypto for a few years now. There's some great uh, Danny Nelson scoops in the past about MasterCard getting involved with crypto. And now they're doing the boring stuff. They're getting Paxos involved. Paxos is a noted stablecoin provider. They also work with a lot of different regulators, in order to provide like the most robust stablecoin solution in a lot of people's minds, not an ad, but I mean they have a pretty good offering right now. I think that's why Mastercard is going towards them. Zach, I'll throw it up too.
3: Yeah, they also help PayPal get into space. Don't don't forget, man. Paxos is forget. like unsexy but hell important <laughs> in my opinion. We we did a profile of of uh, uh, Chad Gascarilla back in like 2020 on like the most influential list, and he was sort of like you know that that fintech whisper right. This is a longtime mm-hmm. uh, Bitcoiner mm-hmm. guy who's been doing all sorts of stuff dating way back. There's some good stories in that piece. Go check it out. But the fact that he has the ear of some of these big, giant financial brands is absolutely worth noting and continues them sort of racking up some wins on that front, right? It's not splashy. It's not sexy. Maybe it's not, you know, all that, I don't know, interesting to the Bitcoin OGs. But in terms of getting these big financial brands, take that first step and then that second step and then even potentially more down the crypto rabbit hole, Paxos has had a pretty good track record of doing that. So it's certainly worth noting that MasterCard is going to be doing this in a pretty meaningful way. But it's also to Jen for her thoughts on this one, for sure.
2: Wendy, I need to update you. The road to boring is also an exciting one. So don't be too thrown off by what, what? Will said there. <laughs> yeah, it is an exciting but boring road to the end. Hmm. <laughs> so for me, this story comes back to trust, right? We talk about how we're going to get people into crypto. We have all of these headlines that make people read them and think like, number one, I don't want to lose my money. Number two, I don't want to go to jail. And you know, a lot of people still trust their banks, whether they should or not, that is up for debate. A lot of people trust MasterCard. They know if their MasterCard gets stolen, they're going to get their money back. They know that their banks have their back if something should happen to their bank account. And so I just think this makes total sense. If we want people to trust the industry, to have these brands that have spent so long building that trust with their consumers to come in. So Wendy, I'm with you. This is an exciting road to boring.
4: I don't think the story talked about any type of like FDIC insurance. And I think that that part is going to be immensely important, especially with all the recent exchange drama we've had. because. I know that some exchanges do offer like FDIC insurance, but it has to be the cash that they have in their bank reserves. But a lot of the terms of services didn't correctly display that in language people understood. So I don't know. I think this is absolutely great. And I think that this will help with the next bull run. I don't think it'll bring in the next bull run, but I think it's very, very good. And I'm excited to see because MasterCard has the capital again to figure out what type of regulatory compliance needs to be done.
3: I think that time aspect is key because like this is not entirely dissimilar from what Nydig had put all of its, you know, eggs in its basket around, right? And we saw what happened there, like they were cut, what, like 33% of their staff because sort of went wrong in the short term. So I think again, for for the teams that can build for a longer time horizon, you know, maybe by the next time that this is of interest to the mass market, MasterCard is there to help these banks get into the game a bit sooner than they had been previously able to. So that to me is like potentially quite interesting if that's what this ultimately enables.
4: Zengo Crypto Wallet is an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which, until now, has only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. Zengo is the most secure Web3 wallet and the best place to keep your digital currency, NFTs, and assets secure. It's also fully recoverable using the wallet's biometric recovery kit. Get started at zengo.com slash hash and use code hash to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
2: Thursday's top story.
3: All right, I'm tossing <laughs> to Will for the first story of the day, bit of some legal proceedings across the pond in
1: Europe. Will, what's up? This is a great story. I've been waiting for this one for quite a while. So we should all be excited about it. HODLNOT has won against Craig Wright in court, in Norwegian court, for going back a little bit, 2019, some defamation lawsuits between the two of them. HODLNOT, back in 2019, tweeted out that CSW was a fraud, a scammer, and a liar. CSW decided to take him to court saying, that, hey, you can't say that about me. I'm the inventor of Bitcoin. Going to take him to court in the UK, where it's very, very hard to win a case against someone who's claiming defamation just because of how the legal cases are built there. And so Hodlknot decided to take him to court first in Norway. And he has won after two, three years of that going through litigation. So, pretty enormous day for the Bitcoin community, I think. Like, this was really like a bear market story in 2019. There's a huge, like, I am Hodlknot was a huge thing. There's a lot of great CoinDesk pieces about that. And uh, now we're seeing like the conclusion to that story and yet another knock in Craig Wright's belt. I think he's like, he's got to be done at this point, but maybe not. Maybe there's more to come. Zach, I'll throw it over to you.
3: Still is promised. So there certainly is more to come. Craig Wright remains a highly litigious character in the space, in a space that's founded on, you know, the principles of, of, of non-censorship and free speech. It is remarkable that we see name-calling taken to the courts like this so often. It's not the only case that we've seen in the legal realm, but it's certainly one of the more notable ones because it involves Craig Wright, who's a, a loud and controversial figure within the space, who has long claimed that he is indeed the inventor of the Bitcoin blockchain. So for this apparent win to be issued to not yeah, maybe is grounds to uh to celebrate some of the ideals of free speech on which a lot of crypto is founded. But I would not say that this is over yet. It seems as though An appeal is in the works, and I would imagine that more is yet to come. Tossing it your way, Jen, what do you think?
2: How many more times is Craig Wright going to go to court, and how is he affording this? It's absolutely insane. So, the judge ruled that he needs to pay, I think it's over $300,000 to huddle not in in legal fees. I also zeroed in on this quote from Wright's lawyers. They said that huddle breached the commonly accepted threshold of decency. And I just thought to myself, has this person never been on Twitter before? I think, you know, to say that about something that's happening on Twitter is just kind of funny. Will, I don't know if you have a comment about that. I saw your little smirk there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's Twitter, right? So you got to be ready for anything. It's it's the town square. And we didn't have like Elon Musk and politicians throwing dirt at each other on there. Like, you know, if you're in crypto Twitter, this is just any other day. And Craig Wright is noted for also saying some derogatory terms as well, which you can find in that article. And he is well known for having a rough mouth on Twitter. And the uh, the lawyer, or not the lawyer, rather, but the judge for this case stated that in the final verdict that, yep, you can dish it out, but you can't seemingly take it. So you know, we're not really going to side on your favor here. Both parties had engaged in pretty rough terms on Twitter. So it's just... You know, it's how it goes. If you choose to engage in that, that's what you get, the outcome. The last point I think is just worth mentioning here is, yes, the free speech area here with Bitcoin. I think it's very so much in terms of what Bitcoin wants and the ethos of the Bitcoin community to have this outcome uh, be in favor of HODL or not. Uh, it was expected. I don't know if it was expected if it was going to be in a UK court, but the fact that they moved to the Norwegian court and got a more free speech centric outcome, is a pretty big deal, and I think that does fall within the larger Bitcoin spaces purview of what Bitcoin should be like. Maybe not in the Bitcoin SV version of what Bitcoin should be like, but definitely within the Bitcoin I think most of us know about nowadays. Zach, give it to you for last thoughts on this. Yeah,
3: Craig Wright remains a contentious character. I don't know if he's going to go away anytime soon, but this was certainly something that was closely watched across the space dating back a few years now apparent resolution but again i bet that more will come friday's top story one of the greats that's him he just waved he is our first story today the regular members of the hash are tired about talking about doquan but sam is not so we brought him on to unpack the latest doquan development sam take it away my friend
0: in in my defense, I only learned about the tiredness five minutes ago as we were about to go on air. Um, so apologies for that. I'm still excited to talk about it. So as many of us who are watching this know, there was a huge interview with Doquan, who is currently, you know, apparently, maybe, maybe not on the run, the founder of Terra. Um, it was with Laura Shin, that interview um, earlier. I, I think it was recorded last week. It came out on Tuesday. We're going to listen to a clip really quick, kind of showing how Doe feels about whether this was a fraud or whether it was a failure and whether he actually deceived people.
1: Oh, yes, I, I, I am sorry. I, I, I think. And it, it could seem, you know, with the way that we've been responding to allegations and news reports and things like that, that, that we're being defensive or something like that. But that is absolutely not the case. I believed in the stability of UST and I do understand that my beliefs and statements about how stable and safe UST would be led a lot of uh, you know, traders and you know, holders without the tools to understand the complex economic mechanisms uh, underpinning UST to gain confidence in a system that ultimately failed.
0: Yeah, so really quick before I throw it to you all for comment, the TLDR here, of course, is that Tarot was that $60 billion stablecoin project that collapsed basically to zero. This is the second time we've seen Doe talk to the project, Doe, the founder, talk about what happened since it all crashed back in May. And here in that clip, we just heard him talk about how he admits and apparently apologizes for deceiving so many people. So there's kind of two camps of questions here. First, did he embezzle money? Did he use this? Did he set it up as a scam in some way? And then the second, did he just deceive people into buying into this project? And that's what this talk's And Apparently, we've talked about it before, but I wonder if there's much more to say here, and then maybe we can talk about some of the rest of the interview. Zach? Interesting to hear this for sure. So this is
3: you know a bit of contrition from Do Kwan, who's been known to be you know, boastful, loud, and otherwise boisterous on Twitter.com. So to hear that from him, I think was interesting, right? Hey, he believed in this thing, and it failed. There were some statements along the way that exposed traders to risk, but he's just as disappointed in this, in this epic collapse as anyone else. I don't ever really know what to make of these statements anymore. They've been going back and forth in terms of how they're approaching sort of the continued ramifications from this fallout. So I see. I just I take it with a grain of salt. It, it's nice to hear the note of contrition in his voice, and I do, I do not doubt that he uh, sincerely is communicating those feelings, but it's really hard to keep track. Of what we are to make of this situation, which which has left investors in bad shape and really triggered a lot of bad things across the crypto markets that people's livelihoods were compromised over. So it's it's the 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 comeback tour is interesting. It's certainly worth remarking upon. At this point, it's sort of like I just don't know what to say. There's there's all these open questions, and I think I don't know what the resolution will ultimately be. I saw Jen's hands first, and then uh, then Will once again as well. So Jen, take it.
2: Yeah, there was an article in the Financial Times recently. And when I saw it, I was like, yes, I have something else to say about Do Kwan than just we're going to keep talking about Do Kwan. There's a group of 4,400 retail crypto investors that have a Discord channel. They're called the UST Restitution Group, and they are committed to finding Do Kwan. So they share clues about his whereabouts in this Discord group. One of the people that's part of the group has plans to go to Dubai within the next 10 days. He says that he doesn't think it's going to be that hard to find Doquan. I think that this is probably troubling for Doquan. If I was him, I would probably turn myself in to the authorities at this point. It must be really scary to think that there are people out there looking for you. I think for anyone who's maybe a part of this group or who is looking for Doquan, it's important to say, don't take justice into your own hands. Don't do something stupid. It's all fun and games when when you're in a group and and you know chatting on the internet but these are people's lives we're dealing with so it will be interesting to see what comes out of this a community has formed how how crypto centric that a community has formed around what's happened with ust will
1: i love the the positive take there that there's a community at least doing something about this i, I want to zero in on one soundbite that we just brought up there in that little clip and that's that doquan thought ust would actually be stable but We have reporting from CoinDesk that Zach even contributed to showing that Doquan had been a part of a failed algorithmic stablecoin prior to UST. And that one had failed because the concept doesn't work, right? You can't have an algorithmic stablecoin that has long-term success. There has not been one in history. There's been many attempts at building these things. The one that he was involved with, Doquan was involved with, was called Basis Cash back in 2020. And that one failed. And that was one of many different ideas. It seems to me that Dokkan was almost like romantically involved with this idea of a decentralized stablecoin with no actual backing, only using market forces to back the coin. And maybe he was in love with that idea. And so he kind of let it go. And then the hubris and just the amount of money that flowed into the token ecosystem itself pushed it to its great heights. And that's sort of what I'm seeing coming out of this whole interview with Lorishan. But at the same time, like you have a history there and it's failed. So you can't really say that it's okay. Zach, i am gonna throw it up to you, get your take on that.
3: Got to get Sam in here. I mean, say I was just a bit player in that massive scoop and that was all Sam's doing. Uh, so I'm tossing it straight
0: to him. What do you got? You, you might be surprised. Thanks, Zach. Um, but I, I might actually push back a little bit on this narrative that Basis Cash played or should play a big role in our understanding of whether Terra was a fraud or not. So Basis Cash, very briefly, like Will mentioned, was another failed algorithmic stablecoin project that was not banked by a, or backed by a treasury or a bank or anything like that. Doe was pseudonymously secretly involved in this project. We, Zach did play a role in this, uncovered that right as Terra was crashing a while back. But a lot of people are kind of making a big deal of basis cash as evidence that an algorithmic stablecoin, a decentralized stable coin, you know, Doe should have known because of his inval- um, involvement with this failure that Terra would have failed as well. And I do think that it's fair to point out that while Terra and Basis Cash did share some elements, there was a lot of difference between the mechanisms that the two used to achieve this dollar parity sort of thing. So I guess my overarching point here is that Basis Cash is an important indication, not that Terra was definitely going to fail, but that Doe knew the risks. And deceive people, nonetheless, and it's also kind of like an indication to me of this weird rot within the crypto startup community, or at least corners of it, where people are willing to embark on these economic playground experiment type things without disclosing to users that they can crash and burn. Sorry, Zach, I see your your finger up. No, absolutely. Just want to riff on that a little bit. You know, the dream is real of decentralized stablecoins, right?
3: Decentralized stablecoins offer the promise of escaping the censorship risk. That asset backed stablecoins face, right? If you have USDC, presumably there is a dollar sitting in a bank somewhere in the real world, and presumably authorities, be the US or other, can act against those centralized intermediaries, thus compromising some of the foundational decentralized ideals of what is indeed called decentralized finance, perhaps a bit aspirationally at this point, by the way. So the dream is there, right? That is the holy grail, but it just has yet to work. We've seen all these experiments ultimately fail. And that goes to the question of what basis cash is as an indicator.
0: Sam, back to you. I, I'm going to shut up after this. But one more thing I didn't want to forget to throw in here is that we got really lucky that Laura Shin shouted out um, a, a question that I was able to throw to her based on some reporting from myself and some of my sources where we found, and this goes to some of what we've been talking about, about Doe basis cash. So in the early days of Terra, Doe Kwan and his team Forked the chain in order to recover funds for an investor that lost their keys. Apparently, Doe confirmed that for the first time. We found this a while ago. You can actually see it in their GitHub. This happened. Why is it a problem? Well, when Ethereum forked their chain to recover funds for people, it was a huge, giant thing. It's called the DAO. Well, it was called the DAO that got whatever. There's like an entire thing. Look up the DAO. Is in 2016, the entire community agreed on what to do. In this case, TFL looks like it unilaterally with the help of the validators operating the chain, move funds from one address to another. Doe says the community was smaller at at the time. But the reason why I bring this up is because it shows that even though, like Zach said, there is this giant dream of a decentralized algorithmic currency, which I do think is a noble thing when it comes to, you know, if you actually say you believe in crypto, that is a nice ideal to adhere to. This example shows that Terra, in going against the immutability of their chain and forking it without clear community disclosure, at least this was not a thing that people knew about until this week. It, it shows that maybe some of that decentralization algorithm, all that stuff was indeed marketing hype more than a real dream for Doquan. So anyway, sorry to throw that one in the end, but... That was a good session. We like, just we needed to bring some fresh way. blood to the conversation. This was there, great.
3: This <laughs> was good. That. that was beautiful. Ten Thank you minutes. for doing that. Yeah. Love that. All right. We're going to change gears. <laughs> Will, good. you're taking us over to Genesis, I believe. What's up?
1: Yeah. We're going downstream of the effects of TFL and everything that happened with Terra. We're going to talk about Genesis, which has shuffled its deck once again. Genesis Trading has lost its newly appointed chief risk officer. Michael Patchen, after just three months on the job, according to a person close to Patchen, Patchen was brought into Genesis at the end of July when the firm CEO, Michael Morrow, stepped down amid a wave of job cuts. There's a lot of other executives who also were shuffled around within Genesis. Genesis was notable for being a large lender in the space that was hit very, very heavily by Three Arrows Capital uh, bailing on all its uh, assets that were due to so many different lenders out there. And then uh, that also ties back, of course, to the Terra Luna debacle, which Three Arrows Capital was heavily invested in. As a disclosure, Coindesk is owned by DCG, which also owns Genesis. Zach, I'm going to throw this one up to you, get your take on this story.
3: Yeah, a bit of an exodus over at Genesis, right? Um, this is, these are the ramifications. This is the fallout. These are the people who you know, are losing jobs or are unable to retain jobs because of the environment at some of these formerly foundational pillars of the crypto economy have been significantly compromised in the last six months as the, the great deleveraging, or whatever you want to call it, has unfolded. So that this is likely maybe another part of that story. Obviously, this is roughly unconfirmed, but probably on good authority. That this is happening likely stems from the current situation over at Genesis and the fact that they're having a, a rough go of it. So the fact that this uh, was a quick stint for this particular individual at this role I think probably speaks to the bigger situation at Genesis. But of course, I can't know that for sure. I'm going I'll to toss this over to Jen for her thoughts.
2: Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, that Will, Zach, you said it, 3AC Contagion continues. The CEO stepped down in August, right? And, and we have Patchen in this role for three months. His resume, when it comes to risk, is quite lengthy. It just makes me kind of beg the question, what is going on? Like either he had some really out there takes on what was going on and tried to make change and the rest of the executives didn't agree with him. Or it's just like a huge mess behind the scenes. I would love to see some reporting from what's going on behind the scenes um, at Genesis. Maybe Sam, you can get some insiders to speak to Coindesk to, to find out what's happening. Because I think when you see people join companies, when I'm at a loss for words here, When you see people join companies when they're going through this and they leave three months after, it kind of speaks to disaster.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll I'll jump in really quick. I don't have any special reporting into Genesis. We've got way better reporters who figured out, you know, the original scoop that a bunch of money was lost with the implosion of 3AC. But for some reason, I I, I don't know what the connection is, but this reminds me of a story that I saw last week, or I think it might have even been this week, earlier this week, where there was this former Celsius, um, which we know was maybe a Ponzi scheme, maybe not, I don't know, it was like a vault that you put your money in and it wasn't you know, going up because of the reasons why they said it was going up. Anyway, a Celsius executive went over to JP Morgan as their director of crypto regulatory policy. So one other side of this whole executive discussion to me is looking at these folks who were there when the implosions happened. Unlike um, the individual that we're talking about when it comes to Genesis, following those folks and seeing whether they fail upwards or whatever, you know, what have you, where are they going? That's also something that I think we as crypto reporters need to do a better job of tracking and, you know, synthesizing for, for our readers. So why is this person going to JP Morgan if they were at Celsius? I, I have no idea. Anyway. Uh, maybe we asked Zacca, that same I question oh yeah okay
2: we did i you promise i'm just here for the
0: lulls. we're just you're like
3: <laughs> you're like why is this happening and we're just like that yeah shit we were is like funny.
0: why is it happening pretty, yeah. <laughs> <depressed> <laughs> <much shit. laughs> I, i'm new to all these stories
3: okay uh, i'm taking yeah. it down to you will will riff on this what do you got
1: yeah no i'm just interested what the long-term implications are so one job loss tragedy for sure i'm wondering why he moved out so quickly to me that just speaks to the state of the books at Genesis, you know, you bring someone in, the chief risk officer to fix the situation. And maybe it's not fixable. Maybe they were doing a bad job in the midst of trying to restructure the company after losing all these funds. Maybe there's stuff we don't know about, right? And it could be anything under the sun when someone chooses to leave a job so quickly and in this sort of situation. But I think if you're looking at the larger lending market, it's still in shambles. BlockFi, we have no resolution on. Voyager Digital, we still have no resolution on. Celsius continues to be in restructuring. There is a Wall Street Journal article just coming out yesterday talking about how Celsius and Core Scientific, one of the largest Bitcoin miners out there, are in uh, Chapter Eleven Court right now. Uh, Those are just three off the top of my head, but you could keep going down. There's even more. And when's the last time we talked about the Roger Ver and that really small Bitcoin lender out there that had that dispute back in like May or June? We don't know about these things and these lending markets. They're going to take a very very long time to unravel, very long time to make people whole, if at all. And I think this is probably the deepest and worst part of the bear market. This is really what wrecked retail. You know, 20% interest rates lured all these folk in. They put Bitcoin up. They tried to get this interest back because they didn't know how to token farm. They didn't want to be involved with anything that was too technical. And they got wrecked. They all got wrecked. And if anything is going to set the industry back from getting back into a bull market in the next few years, it's going to be this lending market. I think this story just speaks to how deeply and messed up all these lending firms are. You know, You walk in, three months later, you have to leave because seemingly not repairable. That's a pretty tough situation to be in.